0: back ladies and gentlemen you listening to financial survival brought to you by discount gold and silver trading i'm melody Cedarstrom, and for the next two segments i am pleased to welcome back from his well-deserved family vacation the always informative james corbett good good evening james or good afternoon
1: uh good morning technically it's 11 22 a.m as we as we record this
0: we're going to get them all. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. And uh, I want to let the listeners know that uh, you've been away for a little bit and we missed having you, and it's great to have you back. And you are the founder and the editor of the um, Corbett Report. And the listeners can view um, everything that um, all of your viewpoints, uh, your worldly viewpoints, uh, they can visit the Corbett Report. Dot com the corbettreport.com that is correct right I got that right james either
1: corbettreport.com or the corbettre report.com both will take you there and of course I also write for the international forecaster.com I write the weekend editorial for them
0: um that's right how, how could I forget about the international forecaster All my listeners are going to be very upset with me but uh, uh, I'm so thankful that uh, you were able to carry that on from from uh, for Bob Chapman and uh, a great job that you do and it's a great little newsletter for the listeners to uh, uh, perhaps uh, you know get copies of it and to share it and get subscriptions but um so welcome back. And did you learn anything about life while you were away? <laughs> <laughs> well, I
1: uh, got to introduce uh, some of the members of my family to my daughter, who they haven't seen yet because
0: uh, oh, she's just just long?
1: turned two, and uh, so that was nice. But other than that, no, I tried to I tried to avoid work as much as possible, but. Being an inveterate uh, workaholic, I did actually have several videos and things up my sleeve. So I was able to keep uh, things going on the website while I was away because, you know, you got to keep got to keep feeding the beast and got to keep yes. up with what's going on.
0: Yes, you do. Well, you know, the big news, I mean, there's a lot of news, um, uh, but uh, certainly we've been talking about it um, quite often during the the last couple of days on uh, financial survival uh, about uh, Trump's decision to abandon the Iranian deal being in Japan and then there's lots of things to talk about uh, various aspects and there's one about the sanctions in Iran about precious metals but we'll get to that a little bit later Um, certainly oil um, is a big deal Uh, But what do you think will be the impact that is felt, if you can sum it up, uh, but felt around the world, you know, the U.S. uh, and Japan? um, Or is this just something that, you know, is or is it not a big deal? I think it's a big deal. Uh,
1: Yeah, well, I concur. I think it is a big deal, and I think there are two – two uh, things that i want to stress here one is that there is of course a nuclear armed nation in the middle east that is not a signatory to the nuclear non-proliferation treaty has never been inspected by the iaea does not even officially declare its nuclear stockpile of somewhere between 100 and 400 nuclear warheads no one knows how many because again it's never been officially acknowledged or inspected and that nation is not Iran. It is Israel. And that's the Israel. big glaring elephant in the room in all of this. And uh, I think that's something that needs to be addressed. So I'm going to be doing a podcast on that. that I hope to have out in the next 24 hours or so. People can stay tuned to CorbettReport.com for that issue. But the other so- uh, part of this, I think the, the bigger ramifications of the scrapping of the deal in particular are to do, actually, I think, with Europe. Because the thing that perhaps is not being stressed enough right now is that this was not a deal between the U.S. and Iran. It was a deal between the P5-plus-1 and Iran. And the P5-plus-1 includes, of course, Germany and France and Britain and some of the other players uh, in this in this international deal that was struck. So the fact that the U.S. president has not recertified the deal, as was part of the, the agreement every, I think it was three months The the government uh, the the U.S. government basically had to recertify the deal, certify that Iran was in compliance. Uh, Trump has obviously decided not to do that, despite the fact that there is truly no indication whatsoever that Iran has uh, violated or abrogated the deal in any way whatsoever. But they're just not going to recertify. So one of the implications of that is that the North Korean nuclear negotiators, you would think, half to be watching what is happening right now as the U.S. literally tears up an existing nuclear agreement that they signed just three years ago in front of the world's face. uh, You would think that might play into the negotiations on the Korean Peninsula. But also, I think the other part of this is it really does put Europe in a driver's seat right now. Whether Europe is, the European nations are going to step up uh, into some sort of role and challenge the americans on this because uh, european companies at the very least if nothing else do stand to lose out from these sanctions that are going to be slotted back into place. And uh, the apparently American diplomats are going around warning German, uh, I think German diplomats in particular, but European diplomats in general, warning, hey, you guys better watch out because your companies might get sanctioned if the if you're still doing business with Iran. So Europe really does have a decision to make in this one, whether they're going to just go along with Uncle Sam once again, or whether they might actually grow a backbone and uh, and put together... So cobble together some sort of something, some sort of remnants of this deal, um, which theoretically could go forward as a P4 plus one deal, um, just without the United States in it. And if that happens, I mean, we we could be looking at a shift in international geopolitics as Europe aligns more towards the east and what is happening out east um, uh, in the far east and the middle east and less towards uncle sam or we could just see the maintenance of the status quo and basically europe kowtowing to whatever the u.s demands and i think that is going to be an extremely important pivot Uh, i think this is a a general geopolitical phenomenon that's taking place over a period of years but this might be one of the key inflection points where we really see which way the european domino is going to fall
0: (laughs) Well, if the Europeans go at it on their own, would they have, quote-unquote, time? Because, I mean, it's viewed that the, the, the reason that uh, – the, the, the long-term reason that this accord, or whatever you want to call it, was was dropped by President Trump is they want regime change. So will – you know, who's going to win out first? Yes, uh,
1: that's a very good point, because obviously diplomacy will take a, a, a backseat if and when military tensions come to the fore, and we're already seeing that with Israel claiming mm. Iran strikes on the Golan Heights, and now there's going to be retaliation, or perhaps there is already retaliation going on for these strikes. So it could very well escalate into a military Event very quickly and more quickly than any sort of diplomatic uh, machinery can come along to pick up the pieces, and so you are quite quite correct in that. And I think really this has to be seen as a pretense towards some sort of military um, uh, ramp up. I mean, I I don't think there's any other way, any other lens or filter through which to see this lack of recertification, other than as the next level of the, the 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 steps towards towards Tehran, basically and that has been the goal of the neocons obviously for a very long time now it's just a question of whether this will be the event that starts to kick it in motion or perhaps whether the israeli uh, tail will wag the american dog once again and will actually start a military confrontation that they'll expect uncle sam to finish and that unfortunately is looking like it might be coming to pass already
0: and you know what, yes, I saw the headlines, and the headlines were, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, the sure ramped up pretty quick, and how convenient, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, and, and, it's, and it's like we were just led down this path by Israel, and like what interest does the United, you know, how does it serve the United States, you know, to where we could have perhaps change that agreement somehow to make it more uh, acceptable, you know.
1: Well, I to... think that's one of the big canards here, is that there was some there's some sort of big hole in this agreement that needed to be patched up, and, oh, it's not going to work, so we have to scrap it. Uh, it's never been uh, clearly articulated what that hole is exactly, considering this is one of the most restrictive nuclear agreements that has ever been placed on any nation. Uh, it is truly phenomenal the extent to which... Um, Everything conceivable was built into this agreement to make sure that Iran would not be able to proceed with anything approaching a nuclear weapons program without it being signaled a very far way away by inspectors who are allowed unprecedented access in the country. It really was a pretty comprehensive agreement and... Uh, if there's some sort of concern that, oh, eventually there's a sunset and two decades from now they might be able to ramp up their program, that hardly seems like the t- kind of thing that needs the entire deal to be ripped up in the face of the uh, the international community. I- again, I think this has to be seen as part of a larger game plan that has been prepared for quite some time um, with Netanyahu. And I-, I think it was a McClatchy headline that I saw just in the last 24 hours that put it well. It was something to the effect of, uh, uh, with the scrapping of the Iran, nucle- Iran nuclear deal, american Israel. Relations are the best in, that has been in a decade. <laughs> As if that's the central point of all of this. Well, okay, well, then I guess that's good. But uh, uh, you, you note how quickly things have seemed to have amped up uh, since this, and I think that's, in a sense, that's just us coming to the attention of this issue, which has been boiling for at the very least weeks now. Um, you'll remember that in the wake of that Syrian chemical attack or whatever did or did Mm -hmm. not take place. And I think it's highly questionable that any sort of chemical event did take place uh, a month or so ago in Syria. But in the wake of that, uh, while the U.S. was still deciding that it was what it was going to do, uh, you, you remember Israel actually did do some strikes in, uh, yes. in Syria on Iranian targets in Syria because they were basically mm-hmm. upset that there were some Iranian forces that are in Syria now. Um, so I think this tension has been there. I mean, the, even the military tension has already been there for several weeks. And this is just another excuse to amp it up again.
0: I don't know if this. Matters the question I'm going to ask you, but the 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 agreement, initially signed in 2015, I mean, was it a bad deal to begin with? You says it was the most rest- restrictive when it comes to any nuclear uh, planning and 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 for investig you know um, uh, you know uh, inquiries and so forth. Was it a bad deal to begin with or were the people told – I mean, it didn't go through our Congress or anything like that. It was done on an executive order. But the fact that it was signed and agreed upon –
1: Well, I think – again, I think that the onus – calls on the the people who are willing to scrap and walk away from the deal to articulate precisely what was so bad about the deal in particular and they'll they'll point to things like the Iranian government getting billions of dollars Uh, A lot of it in cash, as uh, Trump pointed out during his speech. This was money that literally was the Iranian government's that the U.S. was holding back from them as a result of all the sanctions and everything. So it's not like that this was money that was just rained down from heaven or something. This was money that actually was... Uh, destined for Iran anyway that was being prevented illegally if uh, given the international agreements that were in place um, uh, all of the, the different talking points that have been raised, oh it's a bad deal, it's a bad deal have never been articulated if people want to know in more depth about the deal itself Um, Gareth Porter, for example, has done a lot of reporting on this uh, over the years Uh, a lot of his stuff is carried by Antiwar.com, but he reports for a number of different outlets, and uh, Trita Parsi of the uh, Iranian-American Coalition, something along those lines, um, has also written Books about this deal and, and what it actually accomplished, and when you go into the real specifics of the the enrichment process and what uh, what kind of um, uh, enrichment is allowed and and how these uh, facilities are being inspected and and the the types of things that Iran gave up in pursuit of this deal, it really is phenomenal. And there has never been a nuclear agreement with any nation that has been as restrictive as this one. So again, I think the onus falls on the people who say this was a bad deal to actually articulate what that means and what kind of deal they are looking for um, that would supposedly replace this. But it should that should have been done well before the deal was not recertified, which again is the U.S. Uh, technically, theoretically saying – Uh, that they won't certify that the Iranian government is in compliance with the deal. But that's not even what they're saying. Iran is in compliance with the deal. They're just saying they don't like the deal. So everything about this has been dishonest and uh, really a a, a whole bag of tricks has been pulled out here. At the end of the day, again, I think this is ultimately about uh, Israel and Netanyahu and what they wanted. And uh, Trump is just going along with it.
0: And it just amazes me that you know so many of the American people just don't even see it, and they, you know, it's, they just now whether this is for I mean it's hard to believe that this would be used just for another distraction over something else because this is a pretty big distraction, <laughs> you know. I you would think that they'd be a little more clever to come up with some other dis, you know distraction that wouldn't have the the impact uh, that this is a stormy going dam- to cause. Daniels, if
1: you will, yeah.
0: Yes. Well, you know, we have, um, we're going to get close to a break here, so let's just finish this up on Iran. You have, um, you know, supposedly all these uh, sanctions will be, I've been told that a lot of these sanctions are still on, uh, but there's many more that are coming. You're going to have Russia. I think Russia was even part of the deal or um, China, Turkey. They're all going to have an impact. India uh, with the oil. Is that a separate deal? What is, is Is there a bigger impact to these countries? I mean, India, um, they import from Iran. China, they import from Iran. Will they be able to get their oil from other areas um,
1: well, I think this is going to be a, a case of uh, the same old thing all over again, because obviously these sanctions and, and I believe it is the same sanctions as existed before the deal are going to be slotted back into place, which will create a similar situation to what we saw say five years ago, where we had things like the the oil for uh, uh, gold for oil exchanges uh, happening between India and Iran, for example. Um, There's a lot of ways to get around these types of sanctions. And in fact, a lot of the infrastructure, the financial architecture and infrastructure of the last several years has been developed specifically looking at the way that the U.S. was sanctioning Iran back in that period several years ago. Um, So you have, for example, China and Russia having uh, colluded to create an alternative to the SWIFT global banking network and, and things along those lines, again, specifically being done because they looked at the way Iran was being financially targeted during the sanctions period. So if that all goes back into place, again it really just in further incentivizes China and Russia and all of these other kind of peripheral players to this Iran uh, Iran deal um are going to once again be motivated and incentivized to create ways around the American uh global in monetary infrastructure. And that that uh, in a sense it's uh, America stabbing itself in the foot because Again, it's uh, the, it's creating enemies or at least al- alternative systems that will ultimately bypass the U.S. and 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 speed up the process that we already see going on right now of the U.S. dollar, the petrodollar being eclipsed, and that that's really just going to be helped along by these types of uh, stabbing themselves in the, the the eye kind of events.
0: Minuchin, um, Treasury Secretary, one of the sanctions that they were going to. I don't know. Again, we don't know if it's one that's been played already placed on or a new one, to where Iran would would uh, would be unable to purchase gold and precious metals. And I thought that was an interesting one, even to bring up in a conversation. Uh, but we're going to have to hold that thought in your answer until we come back uh, from this break. Please stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver Trading. 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Please visit our website at dgscoins.com. Dgscoins.com. I'm very pleased to spend these uh, two... segments with uh, James Corbett of the Corbett Report. Please make sure you visit the website. It's got a lot of wonderful information, and uh, you're going to have a new podcast coming out um, uh, about Iran. Would would you like to just uh, tell the listeners a little bit about that, James, please?
1: Yes. Well, specifically, this is going to be about um, uh, using that presentation that Netanyahu made last week about uh, the Iranian nuclear program and the incredible secrets that they discovered about them, which are 15-year-old, long-acknowledged and long-understood parts of the Iranian uh, abandoned nuclear weapons program, uh, basically using that as a launching point to start talking about the the elephant in the room, which of course is the Israeli nuclear weapons stockpile, which again is officially not acknowledged, uh, although everyone knows that it exists. The only question is how extensive, how massive it is, but we know that they have at least a couple hundred nuclear warheads trained on Tehran already. And that's an interesting part of this story because, of course, the whole narrative is that Iran is some out-of-control, crazy regime that's threatening the world, um, whereas it is, in fact, uh, Israel that has the nuclear weapons and uh, is not a signatory to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. In fact, one of the great ironies of all of this is that it was Iran. Uh, three decades, four decades ago now, that initially proposed a nuclear-free zone in the Middle East, which was opposed by, you guessed it, the U.S. and Israel. <laughs> and uh, that that idea has been refloated again and again, including even last decade, um, by Iran. And Israel continues to not want to do that for its own obvious reasons. It wants to maintain its nuclear stockpile and just make sure that nobody else in the region can have one. Um, so it's uh, It's a gr- giant glaring hypocrisy right in the center of all of this that I I, I think it's still a, lo- a large part of the public Public doesn't really know or understand that aspect of this story. And I think it's important to be bringing that out while we're talking about this issue.
0: Very good. Well, you know, you mentioned that uh, everyone thinks this Iran is this big, dangerous, crazy country. Well, it wasn't that long ago where everyone also thought that the uh, uh, North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un was a crazy person. And now we have uh, President Trump that has done what everyone thought was impossible just a couple of months ago. Um, there is uh, a meeting that is scheduled, uh, a summit uh, to happen in Singapore. I guess uh, Trump announced uh, today that the information would be released in three days, Uh who, who knows if it's three days, two days, I mean, but supposedly three days, uh, that they would give a little more information as far as to the uh, time and a little bit more details about that. And um, so, I mean, it it is it is sort of fascinating to see you know, the same views on this country. Now we're having this uh, uh, summit, and you mentioned a little earlier that uh, um, how do you think uh, he's going to approach this summit? He did release uh, three prisoners, um, uh, three Americans that were held captive. Uh, They're going to be um, uh, flying into uh, the East Coast, uh, Andrews Air Force Base, and Trump will meet them there at 2 a.m. this morning. Um so, um, similarities between the two countries, um, any at all, or are they independent of each other? Um, or is it uh, just part of the uh, can this agreement get done, and will it have a lasting impact?
1: Well, there are some major things afoot on the Korean Peninsula, obviously, and uh, potentially world historical. So, uh, again, so much hangs in the balance of this com- the coming summit, or whether it happens at all, and what will be discussed. So, it's hard to predict, especially about the future. So, I <laughs> I think I'll refrain from making any bold proclamations about what will or won't happen. But certainly, something is underway. And as I say, I I think that uh, the uh, American abrogation of the Iranian nuclear deal is not a good portent for things. Um, surely North Korea, as I say, has to be looking at that. Um, anyone negotiating on that side would have to be looking at who they're negotiating with and taking into account the fact that any potential deal can apparently be torn up on a moment's notice for no reason whatsoever. So that, unfortunately, I think undermines the situation. But we have seen some incredible progress. I'm sure everyone's seen the uh, the, the startling uh, uh, pictures of Kim uh, Kim Jong Un and embracing Moon Jae In and leading him across the border and all of this, uh, truly some amazing things that that uh, were inconceivable even several months ago are are starting to happen. Uh, let's see if we can get this to continue. I think one of the the most amazing things that I've seen, one of the best, most brilliant diplomatic moves that I've seen uh, in recent months came on the part of Moon Jae-in, the president of South Korea, who when asked about whether uh, someone floated the idea of whether he would be nominated for Nobel Peace Prize for this, he said, oh, don't don't give it to me, give it to Trump which I think is a brilliant thing to do because, of course, I think everyone knows that plays directly into the ego of the president and would probably be, uh, if anything, would encourage him to get a deal done. It would be, hey, don't worry, you'll get the Nobel Peace Prize if this happens. Uh, So I don't know if it's just playing on uh, personal psychology, but anything that actually assures peace on the Korean Peninsula would be, after 60-plus years of war, I think would be a welcome um, bit of event. So anyway, I, I, I clearly think are happening, and it would be extremely important. I think the most important part of this the denuclearization and all of that of course is uh, something that is greatly uh, talked about and, and speculated on here in Japan and elsewhere in the region but I think the the really the most important issue here is the if not the reunification at least the the normalizing of relations between North and South Korea and maybe Some uh, allowing for movement of peoples across that border would be an incredible and really important event. Uh, I think ultimately, whatever peace results is going to have to come from the Korean people themselves, um, not dictated to by the outside powers that have uh, uh, put their nose into the into the peninsula. So uh, I think that's going to be the most interesting part of it from my perspective to see what kind of relations develop between North and South Korea. And it's a minor thing, a very minor thing, but. People might have heard that uh, Kim Jong-un has, uh, has scrapped the Pyongyang time, uh, time zone that he instituted a few years ago, mm-hmm. uh, the half hour difference between North and South Korea. Again, it's pretty symbolic at this point, but hopefully it's a sign that things are moving in the direction of uh, detente.
0: Well, I was under the impression that when, when Moon became president of South Korea, that he wanted to repair the relationship with North Korea and there is a pipeline that wants to be laid from Russia through North Korea down to South Korea. And to me, that's what this is all about. Uh, this is why these relationships are relationships are, are, being, um, handled in the manner in which they are. And from my understanding, I, I could be wrong, I sure, probably am, but shortly after Russia came out and made the statements about their military and some of the weapons that they have now um, have achieved, it was a week later, or shortly thereafter, to where all of a sudden these relationships and, and uh, Kim Jong-un uh, decided that he was willing to uh, um, be a little more friendly, you know, so... Um, you know, when Russia came out and said, "Hey, well, we're going to defend our our friends, so you can't mess with them," it's like everything just started to fall into right. place. Yeah. And
1: well, I I wouldn't say that's why what is happening is happening, but it is a, a significant factor in what is happening. And uh, to step uh, aside from any sort of advocacy, obviously, I'm interested in peace. But um, to step aside from advocacy and just look at the situation as it exists, we have to understand that there are incentives. On both sides of this issue, for some sort of deal to get done, and also for some sort of deal not to get done. And uh, from the American negotiator's perspective, that might be one of the factors in this. If you have peace on the Korean Peninsula and you uh, see the construction, for example, of a pipeline like that from Russia down through North Korea to South Korea, uh, what are what are you doing? You're creating an economic uh, boon for all of these various players in the Asia-Pacific that suddenly don't maybe don't necessarily need Uncle Sam quite as much as they did before. Also, there are billions upon billions of dollars in contracts that have been awarded to various uh, military-industrial contractors, most of them located in the United States, in the Asia-Pacific region over the last several years based on this North Korean threat that uh, we've been talked uh, talk to death about uh, over the last several years, and that has justified the THAAD missile defense, for example, in South Korea, which China and other players in the region know is not just about North Korea, but that's been the extensible excuse for the uh, the erection of that, that missile defense system. And Japan, of course, has been spending a lot of money on, on modernizing and upgrading its military, which isn't a military. Honest. Don't worry. It's a self-defense force, but it's just the eighth um, best-funded military on the planet. Um, and and all of these uh, players have their, their, their fingers in the pie when it comes to having some sort of boogeyman in the region that at the very least they can point to and say, that's why we need to be here. And with the elimination of that or the potential for the elimination of that, there are players at this table who probably would want to see a, a any sort of deal scrapped. So I think we have to understand there are countervailing forces here. It's not that everybody is going into this hoping and
0: praying for peace. You know, last week we had... Uh uh, trade negotiations between well, the United States had uh, trade negotiations uh, with China. Very little seems to have been achieved. Uh, there was a whole laundry list of demands uh, from the White House that uh, was foisted on Beijing. Uh, Of course, uh, Trump wants China to slash the trade deficit uh, and cyber theft of U.S. technology, which I always argued on that one, eliminate uh, regulations, and the list goes on and on. Uh, Did Trump ask too much? Uh, Is this just something that's going to be ignored by China, or is China going to um, start um, laying down their... Own rules, and uh, you know they own a lot of the U.S. debt. Does that come into play with any of these trade negotiations?
1: Well, uh, it, it, this again creates an interesting incentive, or at least furthers along a process that I think has been underway for years, but um, certainly puts the the extra kick in the rear end uh, for China. Um, to, I, I don't think they can just ignore this right now because America remains too important a trading partner at this point in uh, China's uh, economic development. Mm-hmm. But it certainly does put an onus on them to continue the diversification of their export economy, Um, and we're already seeing signs of that. For example, uh, the the first trilateral summit between China, South Korea, and Japan in three years just took place. It was held in Tokyo. And one of the things to come out of that, obviously, they're talking about uh, moving towards denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. But another thing that they were talking about, oh by the way, was closer trade agreement between China, Japan, and South Korea. So as the U.S., for example, withdraws from the TPP and starts putting these sanctions on China and Japan, by the way, Japan sort of became collateral fallout of some of these sanctions that are being slapped on China. Um, A lot of exemptions uh, were put in place uh, with regards to some of these sanctions, but not for Japan, interestingly. So Japan now incentivized to start finding other other markets to export to. There's a lot of uh, incentive for China, Japan, and South Korea to form a closer trade agreement alliance. And this is, again, part of that thing that I'm talking about, so sort of um, shooting themselves in the foot when it comes to the Iran sanctions, for example, or when it comes to withdrawing from the TPP or slapping these sanctions on China. All of these are really incentivizing um, the uh, other other players around the world and some of these rising powers like China to create and to continue fostering this alternative economic and trading and financial and monetary infrastructure that's being created and I've written about this for several years I think I, I think that there are certain powers behind the throne in the United States that are not stupid enough not to understand this and I think this is part of the deliberate engineering of, of a sort of Western downfall or at least the downfall of the US as the, the world predominant superpower. I think what we're seeing now is, the the excuse, anyway, for the creation of all of these alternative infrastructures and trading relationships, and that's only going to continue because uh, pr- uh, there's no... Conceivable way out of this at this point, um, just given the way that various players like China and Japan and South Korea are being backed into an economic corner. And so the obvious thing they're going to try to do is trade more with each other, and that makes all sorts of economic sense. The only perspective from which that doesn't make sense is the geopolitical order, in which Japan, of course, is supposed to be a big rival to China and they're under the US military umbrella. Well, that can change, and it might take years and it might be a slow process, but it looks like it already is changing, and that's. Ultimately, to the detriment of the United States, at least from an economic and military perspective.
0: I, I can't recall there was such a time when we, and I i don't know, I just kind of popped into my mind, sanctions. I mean, my heavens, there's sanctions on everyone, everything. <laughs> and it, it's just like on people, on governments, on trade, on money. It's sanctions. I mean, sanctions are just thrown out, and you're right. I mean, what are the... the, the, All of these reactions to these sanctions, I mean, countries are going to do what they have to do. They're all cutting out their piece of their pie.
1: Exactly. And and we have to keep in mind that sanctions are not a light matter. Obviously, this is just warfare by another means. Uh, It really is a a type of warfare. So um, uh, we can't exactly be surprised when the countries that are put under these types of sanctions start looking for alternative ways of of doing business and start growing the the alternatives. And uh, I I just, I see it as the inevitable reaction to this. And one that, again, I think the long-term planners probably cannot be stupid enough not to Not to foresee.
0: And is the United States the only one that throws sanctions around to the degree? I mean, does Japan place sanctions? Uh,
1: they they do. And for uh, sometimes they will follow you know, American sanctions. When America sanctions Russia, for example, Japan sometimes slaps sanctions on, on certain Russian officials and that sort of thing. We've seen that take place. But um, specifically on the Iranian deal, um, Japan has come out to rebuke uh, Washington for this move and say that it's the wrong way to go and that we need the deal in place. So uh, again, I think America's geopolitical capital is uh, has been spent and is, uh, is waning at this point.
0: James, I'm sorry we're out of time. Those two segments went by very quick. Thank you for joining me this uh, uh, this afternoon, this evening, and uh, I look forward to our talk in two weeks. Thank you, very and ladies much. and gentlemen, thank you, and ladies and gentlemen, make sure you visit thecorporatereport.com, corporatereport.com, and uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. Until then, be safe, good night, and God bless.